Welcome to What's Going On, the weekly podcast and videocast of First United Methodist Church in Yankton, South Dakota. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of What's Going On. I'm Pastor Katie here at Yankton First United Methodist Church, and I'm so glad that you joined me for this episode. I want to kick off this episode uh, with something that's kind of exciting to me, and that is that our books have come in for our New Testament challenge that we're doing this summer. Uh, We've been talking about it for the last, I don't know, month or so, about doing some small groups where you read through the entire New Testament, which doesn't look that intimidating, I don't think, um, uh, with a small group and then do meet for eight weeks uh, and discuss it. And so the books have come in. One book is the journal that goes with the challenge. This is the one that we ask you to buy for $10 because literally you're going to be writing in it. And so this will be yours to keep. Um, And then you can, if you wish, you can purchase this book. This is the New Testament, but it's done in a different order than what your typical New Testament is done in. And also uh, written in in a different way in that it looks like an actual book. There's no chapter and verse numbers. It's written in one column um, and it's written to be a little bit more like you're reading a book or reading a story. Um, I'd said at one point that I thought maybe it was chronological in the way that they handled it, but it's not. On the back cover it says the books are arranged in an order that helps you see the unfolding drama more easily Um, and so I think that's um, pretty pretty cool and and to you know if you're someone who's read through your New Testament multiple times to read it in a new way each book also has an introduction to it which I think is pretty cool so this is going to be a really great and accessible way to get into reading scripture and reading the Bible and and seeing it kind of in this overview sort of way so that instead of looking at little chunks like we tend to do uh, for worship usually I'm just working with one small part of the story um, you are going to you're going to read the whole thing Um, You're going to see kind of the overarching themes. You're going to see the movement in the New Testament. You're going to see um, how all of these things relate to each other. And so I'm super excited. But that means that if you've signed up, you've gotten, you've paid for your journal, uh, you're going to be able to pick them up. You can stop by the office or on Sundays we'll have them available as well. But if you haven't signed up yet, you still can. We're going to do another order of books uh, coming up here shortly. And so if you're like, oh, man, I missed out, you did not miss out. Um, we're definitely going to make another order. We, I just was getting excited and I wanted to get some books ordered. One, so we could have them here. So if you were a little bit on the fence about this whole thing, you could look through the books and go, oh, that that actually sounds kind of interesting. Maybe I do want to do that. Uh, I know I'm that kind of person that I want to actually see what it is before I commit to anything. And so um, those will be there for you to be able to peruse as well and still sign up. If you have signed up, but you were someone who didn't have a group yet, know that I'm going to be working on that in the next uh, probably week or two. And so um, if you could either email me or call the church with your kind of best available times for what might work for you. Um, My plan is to kind of group people based on when they're available. Uh, And so if you're someone that says, you know, I can only do evenings, I need a group that meets in the evenings, uh, then I'll know to put you with other people that can meet in the evenings. If you're someone who can only meet in the mornings, I'll put you with people that can also meet in the morning. To me, that just makes sense. And so, um, 
If you can let us know that, the sooner the better. Otherwise, you'll be hearing from me or someone at the church soon uh, so we can get all of that coordinated. But I'm really excited about it, and I think it's going to be a really great um, series. My other hope is that maybe as people start to go through it and experience it, and hopefully it is a positive experience for people, I'm fully expecting it to be, um, maybe you'll get convinced that you want to do it too. So my hope is that we'll have new groups starting throughout the course of the summer. I know that my Sunday school class isn't going to be starting it until July, but also maybe in the fall having groups that'll start doing it as well, which is the other reason that we decided to purchase these and lend them out um, rather than making you purchase them. That way, uh, if you if you don't want to keep this version of the New Testament, you can bring it back to the church and then someone else can use it. Um, but if you love it, $10, you can keep it. So that's that's what's going on with that. But I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited and I, and I hope and pray that uh, in reading the New Testament in this way and getting to discuss it with people that... Um, you come to have an appreciation for who Jesus was, what he taught, what the early church was about, how it looked, but also like people like Paul and, and the way they were making sense of things. Um, you know, I visited with people a lot in my in my time as a pastor, and I know that one of the things that often kind of deters people from reading the Bible is that they get really intimidated by it and they don't know where to start or how to make sense of it necessarily. And I think something like this is going to be really helpful and really useful. And to be reading it in a way that is designed to be easier to read, uh, again, I think is going to be a great introduction for some people. And then for those of you who've read it your whole life, you're reading it in a new and fresh way. So it's going to probably hit a little different than when you read it from your familiar Bible, um, what you've kind of known and become used to. So reading it in a new way, uh, maybe God can reveal some new things for you. So I'm just super, super excited about it. Thank you to everyone who has already signed up. Again, you can definitely still sign up for this. Uh, like I said, it's my hope that we're just going to continue offering small groups uh, that people will continue to gather until the whole church has gone through it. That's my real goal. That's what I would really love to see. And so if you're hearing this and you haven't signed up yet, know that I want you to. I want you to do it. And I'm going to try to make it as possible as I can for you to say yes to that. Again, if the $10 cost is preventing you from feeling like you can sign up, please don't let that be an issue. Uh, we have people that have donated extra so that Others can have their costs covered, and so you just need to let us know. Um, again, we don't want there to be any barriers to people participating in this study. So that kind of leads me a little bit into what I want to talk about today, because it is my hope that as people do this study that they start to generate or to deepen their relationship with God, um, because I think it is a lifelong journey. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about it lately. Um, this week is our final class for our confirmation students. They're going to be confirmed the first two weeks in June. Uh, and we've been talking a lot about um, kind of our faith journeys, because for them, um, they're going to be taking on those vows themselves, those vows to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to take on the responsibility for keeping their faith alive and for growing in their discipleship for themselves. They're going to say, this is my faith. Uh, I love God. I believe in Jesus. And this is what I'm going to, to dedicate my life to uh, in, in serving God and serving Christ in, in whatever way that God has called me to do that. 
And so I've been thinking a lot about it. And and, and I think that that's something that, again, is, is a continual process, that confirmation is the beginning of the journey, um, but it is by no means the end. This is not a graduation. This is the beginning of something, a new chapter in their life of faith. Um, but I think sometimes uh, we can get kind of complacent in our growth and our faith and, and think that, you know, I've kind of know what I need to know uh, and I kind of get into a rhythm of things. But really, we need to constantly be drawing closer to God. We need to constantly um, be be making faith a priority in our lives. And so what are we doing to grow in our faith? What are we doing to draw close to God? What are we doing to listen for God's voice? And uh, this week, um, Monday, uh, May 24th, was actually a special day in the life of the United Methodist Church, the church that we are a part of. Uh, It was Aldergate's day. And uh, if you are, you know, steeped in Methodism, that name might be familiar to you. If you are new to Methodism, or uh, maybe uh, just not not as familiar with United Methodist history, (laughs) then that might be a little unfamiliar. And so I'd like to share with you what that is, and how that kind of fits in with what I want to talk about. So John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement. He was a uh, priest in the Church of England, lived in England. Uh, his brother was also a priest in the Church of England. Um, and, you know, they grew up in a really faithful family. Their mother especially was very strong in the faith. Their father was a priest as well, but maybe less effective than their mother. But that's a story for another day. Uh, and they, they both went to Oxford. They both um, went into the ministry, into the priesthood. And while there started a small group, Uh, using kind of some methods of spiritual disciplines to kind of bolster their faith again to help them stay committed to the faith that they that they dedicated themselves to and out of that group a movement grew uh, that became Methodism. John and Charles after they became uh, priests John actually came over to America, and I don't know if you knew that, but he did. Uh, he, he went to Georgia to be a missionary uh, to the Native Americans in Georgia, and he didn't spend a lot of time here, and, and mo- by most standards uh, was basically a failure in what he was trying to do while he was here. Um, and, but one of the significant things was on his way back from America, back to England, on the ship were some Moravians. Moravians are another denomination of the Christian church. Uh, they, they were uh, kind of based out of Germany. And the Moravians, they encountered a storm on the ship. And the Moravians sang hymns through the storm. They had faith and assurance that God was with them. And John was terrified. But he was really impressed with the Moravians and the faith that they had. Um, and that always that kind of stuck with him. So after he came back to London, he um, reluctantly went uh, to to a meeting, basically, with the Moravians on Aldergate Street. Aldergate Street. Um, this happened on May twenty fourth, which is why May twenty fourth is known as Aldergate's Day. Um, and this happened in seventeen thirty eight. So again, John Wesley is. 
already a priest at this point. So, I mean, he, he's grown up in the church. He was educated. He took his priest orders. He is a priest. Um, he has gone to be a missionary. He's come back from that experience. Uh, but it wasn't until this night uh, where he was in London, he went to this meeting on Aldergate Street uh, and someone was reading Martin Luther. So Martin Luther is the founder of the Lutheran Church. He was a German monk, uh, Roman Catholic monk, who um, ended up uh, kind of being one of the major players of the, the Protestant Re Reformation in, in Europe. Um, so someone in London was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. So not even the Bible, but Luther's uh, introduction to the Book of Romans. And, and John Wesley wrote in his journal that night, he said at about 8.45 p.m., a uh, very specific time there, uh, he said, while, while he was describing the change, uh, let, me, let me pull it up here. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. He was already a priest. He had grown up in the church. He knew the stories. He knew scripture. He knew all of these things, but it wasn't until this night that something clicked within him and his heart was strangely warmed. It was in that moment that he didn't just know it, but he felt it and he believed it even for himself, that Christ died for even his sins and that he truly was forgiven and that he truly was loved by God. And what's interesting is that only a few days before that, Charles, his brother, had a very similar experience um, in a very nearby location as well. And so God was moving in the life of John and Charles. Again, after they had already become priests, after they had already, like John had already been on a mission to another country, acted as a missionary. So like he had known these things in his head, but it wasn't until Aldersgate that it became personal. How many of us maybe know the faith in our head you know, I believe, uh, but it's not personal. It's not yet something that uh, really hits your heart. That's what I'm hoping that this series does for you, is that as you read scripture, and maybe it's going to be as you read the introduction uh, to Romans in here, uh, that something's going to click with you, and that it's all of a sudden it's just going to make sense, and that it's going to be real, that Christ was real, and that he really did die for you, that this life is, is for real, that the power that God gives is for real, um, because it is. Uh, but I've always been really amazed by this story because we tend to think, one, that um, pastors and priests have it all together and that we have it all figured out. And, you know, because we have this calling that, uh, you know, we are holier than, than other people and um, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, that's not necessarily true. Um, you know, John was a priest first, and, and it took him a while for it to, to really hit home and, and to be personal for him. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God gave up on him, right? Like, God 
God was using him before he really uh, felt it and understood it himself. And God continued to use him throughout his life. Um, and so, you know, one, it's never too late to have that kind of experience, that kind of um, conversion, transformative experience. And it might look different for you, but I hope if you haven't already understood the personal nature of this, that, that um, when I say that God loves you, I don't just mean the general population. I'm looking at you. God loves you. God died for you. God created you as you are. God has called you. That's all. I mean, this is this is about you are part of this story, right? Like you are you are included in this salvation story. You specifically. And that's one of the things, you know, we talked about with confirmation as well that um, you know, that is our hope that coming out of this time of study that, that the students begin to understand that their faith needs to be their own, that, that this is really, um, it's not just about what your parents are, it's about what you choose to be, it's about who you choose to follow, it's about what you choose to dedicate your life to, it's about what you choose to accept as real in your life and what is true. It is my hope that that you you have that understanding for yourself that that you in some way have experienced that strange um, warming of the heart. That's how John described it. I would say other people uh, describe it in other ways. I had one person once describe it as getting knocked in the head with a two by four, uh, which is one of my favorite analogies. Um, you know, just coming to this assurance and coming to this understanding that this is this is who you're meant to be this is what you're meant to do um, you know and I and I've shared a little bit of, of my story as well and and I can share it again where I was at church camp and the whole theme of the week was God's calling and at the time I was working in youth ministry I was working in a church I was uh, I had been to seminary. I I had undergraduate and graduate degree in theology. You know, there was a lot of sense that I I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about Jesus. I knew a lot. I cared about these students. Um, but I remember sitting in the back of the chapel, and when they were they had given everyone a slip of paper and they said, "Write down what you think God is calling you to do." And I know that probably for. For different people within, you know, that space, it might have been, you know, to, it's something very simple or very immediate as far as, you know, befriend someone in, in their school, maybe that, that needs a friend or um, forgive their their siblings or, or something. I think there was kind of a range of, of what people were feeling called to do in that moment. And um, and I remember sitting there and and really feeling like I knew without a doubt what God was calling me to do. I just, I just didn't want to do it. I had all these reasons why I couldn't do it. I had all these reasons why I wasn't qualified, why, why it would screw up the dreams I had for my life. You know, I just sat there and, and it wasn't that I didn't know. And I knew with the kind of clarity, and I don't even know how to describe how I knew that that's what I needed to do. I just knew it. That wasn't the problem. The problem was believing and trusting that if I did what God asked me to do, that my life would be okay. <laughs> um, 
I was afraid that if I became a pastor, I wouldn't become a wife or a mother. Uh, because who dates a pastor? I, I was afraid that if I became a pastor, that my, you know, I wouldn't get to do fun things anymore. Like, it seems silly now, like looking back on it, knowing what I know now. Um, but at the time, those were really big fears. And, and I had a really hard time. Like, I knew that God was trustworthy, but I was having a hard time trusting. I was having a hard time trusting or having the assurance that if I really said yes to this, if I really dedicated my whole life to this, and, and I felt like God was asking me in a very specific way, I want you to dedicate your life to me, put me first, that I would be okay. And that, I, and that I would have the kind of life that I wanted to have, which was a life of meaning and purpose and value. And that I would have meaningful experiences and that I wasn't going to be missing out on things. Because that's, that's what I was afraid of. And the next morning, the final chapel, God talked through one of my own students. Remember, I was a youth pastor at the time, and two of my students had gone to Haiti on a, on a mission trip. Many of you have been to Haiti as well. I've never been. Uh, I would say that's maybe a, a to-do list for, for me, a uh, bucket list. Um, but they had gone earlier in the summer to Haiti, and, and one of them was speaking about visiting with some of the longer-term missionaries that were there who had committed a whole year of their life to, to live in Haiti and to do... Um, do the work that needed to be done there. And he said, he had asked them, why, why would you do that? Why would you give up a whole year of your life to come here away from your family, away from your friends, away from the career that you have been working toward, to come here, to live here and to work 12-hour days in the heat? Why would you do that? And they said, because I know I am exactly where God has called me to be. And there's nothing that can compare to that. <sighs> that was it. That was it for me. That was, that was what I needed to hear. There's nothing that compares to doing what God has called you to do or to being where God has called you to be, or being who God has called you to be. But in order to do that, you have to take the step from knowing of God and knowing, you know, and being raised in it to, to a personal relationship that you're truly trusting God with your life. John Wesley had that on Aldergate's day. He had, he had done things, you know, and he had put himself out there. But it wasn't until he felt that personal relationship, right? His heart was strangely warm. That this was really for me, too. I mean, he was a missionary, but it wasn't a good one because his heart wasn't really aligned with God yet. And, and you can read about John Wesley in Georgia. It's not... It's not super uplifting things to read. Uh, again, it gives me, 
it gives me assurance because I know that God uses imperfect people. And so then I feel like, okay, I'm okay to be here because I'm also imperfect. And, and that doesn't mean that God can't use me. And so for me, it's strangely affirming when, when I read about these incredible heroes of faith who have faults. And um, for me, it's not uh, problematic necessarily uh, because I, I'm reminded that God uses us as we are and, and that we are all flawed people, but God can still use us anyway. Um, but it wasn't until after that, that, that Wesley truly could trust God because he, he felt it. He believed it. He believed it deep in his core and he was able to orient his life in such a way because he had confidence that God was with him. He had confidence that salvation was meant for him as well. He had confidence that God was and willing to forgive his sins. Like he lived his life as though these things were true in a way that he did not do before. Before he believed it, but he didn't really live it. But it wasn't until he truly felt it that he could live it. For me, I would say the same thing. I was already in ministry. I was doing youth ministry at the time. Uh, but it wasn't until that moment. And, and for me, it was in, in that calling understanding of, of who God wanted me to be. Um, that I'm like, I can't, I can't run away from that anymore. Um, if, if I'm really going to dedicate my life to God, I need to trust that God is going to, to is going to lead my life in a better way than I would. Um, which I can tell you has been absolutely true. Uh, since that time, I have gotten everything that I've ever wanted in life and more. Because I chose to kind of turn my life over to God. Because I decided that I could really trust God with my life. I could really trust God with um, defining who I, who I am, that it was real, that, that it wasn't going to be a mistake to put God first. I think maybe that's what I was afraid of. And I wonder if that's true for you as well. Do you ever feel like if I do that, it's going to be a mistake? That, that I'm going to regret it. Because I don't think you will. I used to think that if, if I truly gave my whole life to God, that God was going to send me as a missionary to some far off location with like poisonous animals. I'm not a big fan of snakes. And I was like, please don't send me where there are giant snakes. Like I don't want to go to the Amazon. I don't want to go to, you know, Africa where they have giant snakes. I don't want to go to the outback in Australia. And I was convinced that because I didn't want to do those things, that that's what God was going to make me do. And I don't know where I got that idea from because God created me. Um, why would God then, then ask me to do something that is outside of what God has, you know, gifted me in? Instead, what God has asked me to do is live into the gifts that God has given me. And it brings me great joy to do that. And then I think God really kind of wanted to just hit it home for me of put me first and that and you, the rest of your life will fall into place. That's what happened for me. I decided to, okay, okay, God, if you want me to go back to seminary, fine, but you need to make it happen because I've already been to seminary and I have a lot of debt and I can't afford to go back. And if this is what you want me to do, you need to make it happen. And he did. He did. I didn't have debt coming out of my second seminary experience because God made it happen because this is what God had asked me to do. 
I said, God, you know, you told me to trust you. You told me to put you first. You told me to live into this calling, but you also know that I have a desire. Woo, you can tell. When we get to stuff that I really care about, I start to get a little misty-eyed. I think you've probably realized that about me now. But I had a deep down desire to not be alone. <laughs> and I really thought if I if I am going to be a pastor, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be, um, you know, that spinster old aunt. And, and I had wonderful nieces and nephews. And so I was like, well, I'll make the best of it, right? I literally had been... I graduated from seminary in May, and I met Jason in November. That's how long it took for me to find my person. Not very long. Not very long at all. Shortly, I mean, we'd been together less than a year before we got engaged, and we'd been married six months before I was pregnant with Ben. In a very short amount of time, God just blessing after blessing after blessing. Because I chose to, and I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if I, I could say that I really chose it. It was just like, I finally, it, it hit me and things just clicked. Like, I need to put God first. I have to really trust God, not just believe that that is true, not maybe believe that it's true for other people, but believe that it's true for me too. You know, maybe it's easy for you to say, well, yeah, of course God is real and loving. Look at what that person got to do. But that's not, that's not how God works with me. God really doesn't love me in that way. He does. He does. God loves me in that way. God loves you in that way. Now, you might not have the calling to be a pastor, but you might. Can I just say that? You might. Have you ever asked yourself that before? I, I, I will be honest that I see, I see those giftings in people right here in this church. And I've been praying for you. Praying that you would have some moment where God reveals that to you. Maybe you've had it and maybe you were like me and you were running away from it. Uh, because you felt like, I, that couldn't possibly be me. God, why would you want me? You know, I was someone who didn't even know what church I wanted to belong to. Um, you know, I just knew what I didn't want to be. <laughs> God can use me. God can use you. God wanted to use me. Guess what? God wants to use you, too. I think that's, for me, the lesson of Aldergate's day. You don't have to be perfect for God to call you. You don't have to be perfect for God to love you. For the stories that you read in here to include you. Jesus knew you. And when he was on that cross, you were on his mind too. You. I hope that that hits you today. In whatever way it needs to that it clicks for you, that it makes sense for you, that it hits somewhere deep down in your soul that, oh my goodness, this is about me too. I'm included in that. God forgives even my sin. Because he will. He will. 
It's never too late for God to call you. It's never too late for God to forgive you. It's never too late to have your Aldergate's experience and feel your heart strangely warmed. But also, put yourself in, in situations that can make those things happen. John Wesley, it said that he, he reluctantly went to that meeting that night. He didn't really feel like going, uh, but he went anyway. What if he had chose, chosen to do something else that night? I don't, I don't know what people in 1738 did for fun. You know, maybe, and I certainly don't know what John Wesley did for fun, if, if he ever had fun, I guess. But what if he had chosen to do something else and missed out on God's assurance for him? Take the opportunity to do things to allow God to speak to you. What do you have to lose, right? Can I pray for you? Dear God, I thank you for whoever's listening to this. God, I pray for them that they, if they haven't already had an experience of your love and grace in their life, that they know that they can have no doubt that you love them, that you have forgiven them, and that this salvation story involves them. God, I pray that you would do that for them today that you would open up their hearts and open up their minds to see what you see and to help them to accept that they are beloved and that they have purpose and value in this life. Whatever obstacles are in their way for them saying yes to you fully, fully dedicating their lives to you, fully putting you first, whatever those obstacles are, even if they look uh, good and they look uh, noble, God, help them to see them for what they are. And help them to understand that putting you first means that their life will be ordered correctly. It doesn't mean that everything goes away, but it means that things get put in the place that they belong and that you can have right relationships with everything in your life. God, I thank you for your willingness to continue to work on me even though I did not make it easy. God, I thank you for continuing to seek after me and to continue to put people in my life to help me to see what you have seen all along. I thank you for that. I thank you for the life that you have given me uh, in response to that. And God, I just pray that for whoever is hearing this today. That if they need a new beginning, if they need a new chapter, that today would be the start of it. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who made it possible. Amen. Thank you. And have a great week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What's Going On, a video and audio podcast of First United Methodist Church in Yankton, South Dakota. We'd love to have you join us for worship on Sundays, and we have two options available. 9 a.m. is our contemporary service, and 10.30 a.m. is our traditional service. You can find those online as well at our website, www.firstumcyankton.org, or on YouTube.